As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Welcome to Brothers in Arms, brought to you by Catholic Men for Jesus Christ, with your hosts, George Rose and Bill Maher. Stay tuned as George, Bill, and their guests discuss topics relevant to Catholic men living out their faith in today's challenging world. And now, here are the hosts of Brothers in Arms, George Rose and Bill Maher. Well, welcome, my brothers, on this rainy, windy, but warm February 7th. We are uh, on another Friday on the precipice of a great weekend, hopefully. I'm yeah. With my co-host, George Rose, my brother-in-arms. Just fresh off the uh, plane from London last night, That's Bill. rugby tournament trip, right? Oh, yeah, it was great. Yeah, I saw England play uh, France on last Sunday in Paris with some buddies I used to play rugby with in college. You also went to the old country, was, eh? And it was the day of the Super Bowl. I didn't watch the Super Bowl, but I watched the uh, <laughs> international rugby match. <laughs> I don't know if you admit that on the air, actually. It might be a bad thing over here. But you did go to the old country. Yep, kind of temporary, right? Yep, made it to the uh, Emerald Isle as well for a couple days. Uh, drove up the wild Atlantic way up to the city of Galway, mm, Cliffs nice. of Moore, all that for a day or so. It was really, it was great. You got a little duel, little town of duel in there. You hop on a ferry and go to the Aran Islands. Did you do that? No, believe it or not, February, Ireland, there's no tourist. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff well, was closed because we had phenomenal weather. It was really, it was nicer than here. It was like in the 50s and it was sunny out for the two days I was there. But uh, a lot of a lot of places just were not, you know. It's it's the low season. You can't plan on going to Ireland in February for nice weather usually. Oh know? no, that, so. definitely not. I mean, even in July or August, it's it's a crapshoot, right? I mean, yeah, I've done it a yeah. few times, and you know, you're gonna yep. get you're gonna get rained on probably more than half the time you're there. Yeah. So we got a, a, an exciting show lined up for us. Um, we have uh, Dr. Marcelino D'Ambrosio, Dr. Italy, coming on later. Yeah. He's going to be at our conference, which actually segues me to point out that we have our 23rd annual Catholic Men for Jesus Christ conference on February 29th, Saturday. Leap year. Leap year. Please, guys, go there. Uh, wives, get your men there. Uh, go to CatholicMenForJesusChrist.org if you're not already getting emails for, from us. And that's going to be an amazing, amazing uh, conference. We have Mark Teixeira from the New York Yankees. George, one of your buddies. Yep, all-star first baseman for the Yankees. Phenomenal and, uh, guy, World too. Series champion. Phenomenal guy. Great, great Catholic faith. Uh, and he's currently a ESPN analyst. And we, we've tried for a few years to get him. And finally, he was able to work his schedule out, and he's going to be there. It's uh, really great. Yeah, George worked his voodoo magic to get him uh, down here from the Yankees, which was huge. And we also got, uh, of course, Dr. Italy's going to be there, which is going to be huge. We have Stephen Auth, who is a CIO of Federated Investors. Chief Investment Officer of right. Federated Investors. Which is kind of a big deal on it's Wall Street. It's a really Street. big deal, yeah. So, and he's also written a book, The Missionary of Wall Street. He's, so he's he's becoming an evangelist in his own right. His and conversion we, story is great. And, and, and those guys are going to hear it. So women, get them out there if, if, uh, if uh, you're listening. And of course, we got Bishop. David, our bishop. Of course. You know, so it's, and, and, and most of all, we have all of our brothers there. That's the great power. It's like, you know, Christ's words where two or more are gathered 
there I am, you know, yeah. and it, it's so real when you're there. So yeah. get reinvigorated, and, get there. Get to and the this will be, uh, you know, a few years ago, probably four or five years ago at this point, we had Mike Piazza, remember, and Raymond DeRoyo. Yep. I think this conference will rival that in attendance. Uh, that was at St. Greg's in Hamilton. This year we're at St. Mary's in Middletown, Father Jeff Kegley's parish. Yeah, and, you know, some people ask, well, because we've been there a lot. We've been to a few parishes. One of our great challenges now that the conference is getting so big you need a, a, a venue that can handle that, a venue that can handle the eating, the feeding. We have a youth track, so, you know, bring your high school students or eighth graders, you know, uh, dads. Um, and you need parking. You need all these things mm. to come together. And there's really very few places that can pull that off. So you'll, you'll see that as the years go by. It'll be at a few locations, not spread everywhere. And that's really the rationale yeah. for that. And to, uh, to register, just go to uh, CatholicMenForJesusChrist.org. Bam. Yep. Nailed and it. Easy to do. George just makes me want to, like, hop on a treadmill right now. I'm looking at him. He's wearing sweats. In fact, he's wearing shorts, by the way. It's February. He's wearing <laughs> shorts. He's got his sweatshirt on. He's, uh, truthfully, he's going to go to the gym. But, you know, you're, you're pumping me up here. You know? I'm, I'm, well, I think thanks, I'm Billy. do the same, you know? Yeah, you know. Once you cross, you know, 50 is the new 40, as they say. But uh, Well, for me, 50 is the new 30. <laughs> okay, <Just> good. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'll use that one, too. But, Bill, you look pretty good. You're in the blue blazer and the nice button-down uh, Paisley shirt there. Yeah. Very nice. I got the memo about six months ago that we were going to be filmed, but I didn't get the memo last week that we weren't going to be. So <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hit or miss sometimes on that, depending on, uh, how Mr. Producer <laughs> is doing that day. <laughs> He's just raising his eyebrows at us right now. <laughs> it's nothing to do with us. So anyway, we actually have, uh, you know, Saints, Saints of, the of the month. Yeah. Yes. George, why don't you lead us on that? So, yes, our Saints of the Month, Billy, uh, and I thought this was very apropos with what's going on in China with the coronavirus, mm -hmm. is the martyrs in the plague of Alexandria. And um, we celebrate that feast on uh, February 28th, so it'll be the day before the conference. And there was uh, a great plague that raged throughout the Roman Empire in the year for for a long for 14 years from 249 to 263 mm. so long time ago and in rome 5000 people uh uh are said to have died in one day during mm. this plague and in Al alexandria egypt suffered uh, very badly as well and that was part of the roman empire at the time and uh saint dionysius dionysius of alexandria tells us that the city, you know, had already been afflicted with famine, and it was followed by, you know, violence so uncontrolled that it was safer to travel from one extremity of the known world to the other mm. than to go from one street of Alexandria to the next. Wow. So it was a very violent city. People were starving, sounds like. And then uh, after this, the famine and, and pestilence, uh, these scourges were succeeded by the plague, uh, and it raged throughout the city for years and corpses lay unburied. Uh, the air was laden with infection. They mingled with pestilential vapors from the Nile, as mm. it says. Wow. Um, and this, you know, this was a lot of uh, fear of death uh, rendered the pagan citizens um, uh, very cruel to their relatives, their relations. You know, as soon as anyone was known to have caught the infection, his friends fled, abandoned him. And the bodies of those people that weren't even dead yet were thrown into the streets and abandoned because people were so afraid of getting the plague. Wow. And um, it was at this point that the Christians of Alexandria came forward and were a great example of charity. And it's actually said in history that this actually really turned, it was like the, the crossroads really turned the tide for Christianity taking hold 
in the Roman Empire. And uh, Christians came out, and they'd been in secret at that point, right, holding their uh, assemblies in secret or, or in ships that were out at, at sea or in prisons. Now they came out, and they didn't care about the danger, and they set to work to tend the sick and to comfort the dying. So they closed the eyes of the plague-stricken, carried them when dead upon their shoulders, washed their bodies, gave them decent burials, even they knew, even though they knew that they were likely to get the plague and probably die from it too. And uh, the words of the bishop at the time, say, well, first of all, this was really remarkable because uh, one, like I just said, they would probably catch the plague from the from uh, the other people. But secondly, they'd been really heavily persecuted at this time in Alexandria. So they were actually coming out and tending to their persecutors who had tortured mm. them. So turn about talk about turning the other cheek, right? Sure, sure. And, um, uh, you know, the bishop said many who had healed others became victims themselves. Uh, the best of our brethren have been taken from us in this manner. Some were priests, others were deacons, some were laity of great worth. This death, with the faith which accompanied it, appears to be little inferior to martyrdom itself. So they, they characterized people that died from serving uh, the other uh, people who had caught the plague and then died from it themselves as martyrs. Wow. Yeah, which is... What an amazing example. Yeah, so, you know, I'm reading from Butler's Lives of the Saints and, and the last sentences, you know, they're, they're, you know, makes us reflect on, on the way that we treat the sick poor, right? Um, their charity and thus relieving their persecutors when attacked by sickness may well make us ask ourselves what our attitude is to the sick poor who are not our enemies, but who are in most cases fellow Christians. So. Yeah, it reminds me of the image uh, that's probably indelibly more, uh, burned into all of our heads is of Pope Francis kissing and, and holding the leper. Yeah, you know, and, yeah, and, and, I forgot and, about that. Embracing those that are suffering. And this is so apropos, you know, you're bringing this up uh, relative to the coronavirus, you know. Um, you know, it wasn't but 100 years ago that, you know, upwards of 200 million people died all over the world because of the Spanish flu. So, you know, these viruses can be virulent. Yeah. You know, I, I've seen reports of anywhere from 600 to 1,000 people you were even mentioning in China that have died. And that's, you know, who knows what they're even reporting. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, there are certainly some measures that you can take. We have the, the, the it, Well, if there's a way that we can help uh, people in Wuhan, right? I don't know if there's some place you can donate money to or send some food. Because remember, that whole city, that whole province, it's like 50 million people well, is locked, locked down, down right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know if you could even get aid in there. Yeah, right I don't know either. Certainly you can pray for them, right? We, yeah, in fact, we can, we can lift it up to prayer and ask, ask the Christian Mars of Alexandria for prayers yep. um, and their support in this. But there are certain things that you, know, we, we, that you can do. You know, as as uh, as a person, typically these things attack the young and the old. But it seems like this this virus is actually knocking out even people that are a little bit younger. In fact, the doctor, the ophthalmologist that actually put this on social media, ophthalmologist, he was yeah, he really? was Doctor Lee. He just died, thirty four year old doctor, and he was in prison because of this. By the way, the Chinese mm. the government didn't want it out, but he just recently died of of the disease. It seems so. So what can you do really quick before we go to break? There's a few things you can do. Obviously, you want to have lots of vitamin C in your system. Mm. You know, and if, you know, prophylactically, probably about 1,000 milligrams. And if you feel like you're getting sick, it could be just the cold, right? Up, upwards of 4,000 milligrams of vitamin C. You want to have vitamin D in your body. Vitamin D is a hormone. It actually regulates a gene expression of up to 2,000 different genes, you know, many of them associated with the immune system. And then there are little things that you can do, like having elderberry, which is highly antiviral. You can go to the CVS and get Sambucus or whatnot, which is black elderberry. 
Mm. Take that up to three or four times a day. Even prophylactically a couple times a day would be beneficial, right? Uh, oregano oil, having that in the house. And one of the great secrets... <laughs> Bill, I'm afraid to add. What, is, what do you mean by prophylactically, taking uh, yeah, in, Even though you're not sick. So, you know, having, oh, okay. having a teaspoon of el- black elderberry in the morning and at night would be very beneficial. It's completely safe and it's highly antiviral. So you're in the medical field, so some of these words that might roll off your tongue maybe are new to the rest of us. <laughs> well, here, here's a really good one for you guys. Bovine collagen, or colostrum, rather. Colostrum is the is the... The anti the, the immune system boosting factors that come from a mother's breast the first couple of days first couple before, days yeah. the colostrum key for lifelong exactly, immunity right exactly so so there's been studies showing that bovine colostrum is more effective than preventing the flu for example which is another virus than even flu shots mm. so this is a simple measure wow. it's tasteless you put a powder in your drink and you have it a couple times a day. And then there's antiviral teas that you can get, echinacea, cat's claw. They, they, they sell them in stores in combinations. Shakes, if you have a morning shake, a, a couple blueberries a day in your shake can double your natural killer count. Mm. Things like turkey tail mushroom tablets can triple and quadruple your, your natural killer count, which these are the things that attack viruses, right? And eat, eat lots of plants for your, your bacteria and use, you know, wash your hands and, and, just, and just be smart about everything, you know? Mm. So these are just simple things that you can do to boost your immune system and so that you can maybe prevent getting a virus, right? And if you get a virus, you could quickly heal because anytime you get a virus like this, it's a, it's a, it's a war against days. It's time. Mm. Eventually, if you can live long enough with, with a nasty virus like this, your immune system will win the battle. Mm. It's about time. It's getting yourself gotcha. time. And these are little ways that you can do that. So Great advice. All right, cool Billy. stuff. So anyway, we're going to be back in just a couple of minutes and you know, go into some of the news. Hello, brothers and sisters. This is Sister Ann Shields speaking to you from Food for the Journey, a program that is heard on domestic church radio Monday through Friday at 6.30 a.m. I want to encourage you to listen to that program, not because I'm doing it, but because I speak of the scripture readings for the day, and the Word of God is what gives us life. Brothers and sisters, today we need life. Hi, I'm Mike Walsh, co-host of Talking Catholic. Every week our show will bring you in-depth interviews with the hardworking people doing the Lord's work in parishes, schools, and ministries. Our increasingly secularized world often makes it easy to forget that we are surrounded by wonderful workers in the vineyard. On Talking Catholic, we will bring you their perspectives on how we can better serve God and our neighbors. Tune in to Talking Catholic on Sundays at 11 a.m. and Mondays at 4 p.m. Hi, this is Peter Herbeck, host of Fire on the Earth, heard right here on Domestic Church Radio every morning, Monday through Friday at 6.45 a.m. Join us as we seek to hear the voice of Jesus, who calls each one of us personally to follow him to share in his life, his mission, and his destiny, and to live the high adventure of Catholic discipleship. I hope you can join us every morning, 6.45 a.m. on Domestic Church Radio. God bless you. Well, welcome back, my brothers. This is Bill Maher, and we're Brothers in Arms. I'm here with my co-host, George Rose, looking snappy, ready for the gym, brother. (laughs) Yeah, you got it, Billy. We just laughed and we talked about some measures you can take actually to uh, maybe make your immune system a little stronger in light of the coronavirus and all these, you know, just the fact that flu is out there, right? Yep. And our our producer mentioned uh, that 
Jack Daniels is actually a potential solution for preventing viruses. <laughs> this is a joke, folks, by yeah. the way. In limited quantities. <laughs> <laughs> he, he also said back when, years and years ago, they would give you raw meat, you know? <laughs> so it's Grandma's, yeah, I used to eat raw hot dogs when I was a kid, right? Just take them out of the fridge. <laughs> I, I, I will say, when, you know, God, those are already know, cooked, God I rest, guess. God of. rest his soul. My father, when he would make hamburger patties with raw meat he'd throw meat in his mouth and I, i'd almost vomit every time i'd see it just it was a different era that's all i can say <laughs> yeah well I'm, i lived in japan for a while so you know raw food doesn't uh doesn't buy if it's fresh it's it's fine right it's <laughs> <laughs> keep the appendix rolling <laughs> <laughs> so what so, do we got on the news front today billy well the the big thing uh, on the catholic front is the march for life george right i mean yes actually yeah i went to the march for life um couple weeks ago now and uh it was phenomenal really amazing there was um i had been it was over probably 15 years ago the last time i had gone and uh we took a bus from our parish at saint raphael's and it was um what a day Mm. it was jammed and of course the first time in history for a u.s president to come and speak uh, and it really drew the crowds. I mean, it felt like there were, you know, there were hundreds of thousands of people there. It was so crowded. We didn't even get on the march. We just stayed on the mall. We listened to the speakers and all that. And it was such a bottleneck of people trying to march down the streets and get to the Supreme Court that, uh, our bus was leaving <laughs> 315. Well, we had well, to head well, back to that. We couldn't make it. The interesting thing about the president's speech was it might've been the most pro-life speech ever given by anyone. I mean, some of the things he was saying was amazing. One of the things he said is when we see the image of a baby in the womb, we glimpse the majesty of God's creation. Every human soul is divine and every human life is born and unborn is made in the holy image of almighty God. I mean, that's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, the words are phenomenal. It's really amazing. And I know, you know, some people don't like, uh, you know, President Trump's style, including myself sometimes, you know. But uh, but when it comes to pro-life issues, I mean, he's really spot on. It's amazing. Oh, amazing. <laughs> it really is amazing. And, it, and it's a little bit of an exclamation point. It'll be curious to find out, you know, the next president or you know, the next of the next, whatever that is, if, if they follow his suit and actually show up at that at that. Event. They were talking about anywhere from 350,000 people were there. I mean, this is not a small event. Yeah. You know, sometimes you wonder the media covers when 10 people show up and spit on, you know, some, you know, studio or something, but they won't. Oh, well, we had heard, you know, the, the women's march was like the week before that or something. And uh, they, they said it was less than 10,000 people. Some people said 6,000 people. Remember, like just three years ago that started and it's already running out of steam, right? Whereas the pro-life march... 47 years and running now, yeah, every year. 70,000 youth, they estimated, in that 350,000. I mean, it's a big deal, but you don't hear anything about it. No, very little. Whispers, crickets. Unless you listen to the right ne- you know, networks and, and news sources, you don't hear much about it at all. But uh, it, it was great. What an uplifting day. Brought my son. A lot of kids were there. We saw you know, Franciscan University, I read, sent eight buses of students there. Uh, there were kids from everywhere. That's was, awesome. That's really great to see. And if you remember, that's where last year, right, Nicholas Sandman and the kids from Kentucky had that whole issue. Uh, yeah, he, 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 sort right? of, he sort of made out in the end, right? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently there was a little bit of a selling. <laughs> yeah. Well, thankfully, they were able to take the uh, outlets, news outlets to task that falsely reported, you know, or, you know, um, I don't, they didn't intentionally, I think, put out false reports, but they were uh, quick to quick to jump to conclusions, right, on, on who was in the right and who was in the wrong. Right. So um, 
But anyway, phenomenal, phenomenal march. Another thing happened that's really in all the news is uh, uh, Kobe Bryant, the uh, great basketball player, has passed away. A terrible yeah. a- a helicopter yeah. accident. Did My you gosh. know that he was Catholic? Yeah, he was. You it, did. I didn't know fact, that until yeah, he, he passed he, away. Philadelphia uh, boy, growing up, going to Catholic school and everything. Lower Marion. Lower, yeah, and you know what was interesting about him is, um, you know, he had that incident in 2003, but he had a real, you know, what they report is sort of a conversion experience, and he really rededicated his life after that you know, with the help of his local priest. Yeah. And, um, you yeah, know. Yeah, he said he, that a priest really helped him through that time. And he lived a model life after that, and he really was inspirational. He lost his daughter. You know, one of his daughters was there, and, yeah. and a, a friend and, and fellow uh, basketball player. It's just terrible, terrible story. So we pray for him. You know, we pray yeah. for him. We're, we well, are people I, of hope. I'm sure everybody read that he actually, he attended mass with his daughter that morning at 7.30 a.m. And then the helicopter had crashed and they were dead by like 9.30 a.m. You know, when, when push comes to shove, that's not a bad way to go in the sense of, well, I just left mass, you know? Yeah. You know, I often think about the words of Christ, you know, I don't know you, you know, I will spit you out. And, and, mm. and you know, when he speaks about, you know, the fact that people don't, you know, you, you you expect to go to heaven, right? Everyone seems, oh, I'm going to go to heaven. But how mm. often do you even pray to God? How much, do you have a relationship with him? Do you even think of him? Mm. And and those are, uh, he certainly was a guy who did. So, yeah, it sounded like he uh, he didn't just talk the talk, he he walked the walk in, in a quiet, humble way. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, you, you certainly didn't hear it. He, he didn't proselytize or anything. He was he just lived his life. And uh, anyway, yeah. we pray for him. And uh you know, and, God willing, he's with God right and, now. And this ties into uh, next week, Bill, is um, uh, next week is National Marriage Week, February 7th to February 14th, believe it or not. And uh, World Marriage Day is on February 9th. So that's uh, today's what? the So Sunday is World Marriage Day to kick off uh, National Marriage Week leading up to Valentine's Day <laughs> next Friday, <laughs> get right? Your, get your box of chocolates ready. Yeah, do something nice for your wife. You know, we always hear on the radio station here, what did you do for your marriage today, right? So I always, I love listening to that because it gets my my mind going on, on things I can be doing in my marriage. And, you know, uh, married couples should become saints. And there's an article here from uh, the Register uh, talking about all the um, married couples that that uh, led holy lives, and you know, first and foremost were Saint Saints Louis and Zelie Martin were the first married couple canonized together, the parents of Saint Therese of Lisieux, right? And in their lives, he he was a watchmaker and she was a lace maker. So, and they had nine children. I think four of them died. Uh, you know, uh, at a very they didn't make it through their infancy. Um, and, uh, you know, another married couple they mention here is Blessed Luigi and Maria Beltrame Quattrochi. They were the first married couple to, beatified, to be beatified together uh, in October 2001. And at that ceremony, St. John Paul II said, uh, Dear families, today we have distinctive confirmation that the path of holiness lived together as a couple is possible, beautiful, extraordinarily fruitful, and fundamental for the good of the family, the church, and society. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So speaking of John Paul II, by the way, yes. Polish bishops are actually petitioning to have John Paul II made co-patron of Europe. Of course, St. Benedict is patron of Europe. Mm. But uh, John Paul II, how about that? Sounds like it makes sense, being that 
our, our current Pope Emeritus Benedict and he were such great uh, partners in in the minis- in their ministry, right? In that papacy. No, no doubt about it. He yeah. he was he's he's my pope in the sense that he's the one during my reversion and all those things. So I have such a fondness, and so many other people, millions of millions of people have great fondness for John Paul II. Yeah, pretty yeah. neat. Also in the news, um, we can't we can't help but mention it. Um, we've had seems like years of. Uh, a disgruntled government fighting each other and and it's all led to uh you know the president was acquitted mm-hmm. you know and maybe the government on both sides can actually work together now and actually stop wasting time on on, on just fighting with each other you know and who, who knows <laughs> we, we can certainly yeah, let's pray hope. for it. we could use some bipartisanship right <laughs> we certainly could especially when you read things like you know elon musk is ready to connect the brain with a computer now what a frightening thought some of the things that are going on in the world that need to be addressed yeah, think about think about that for a minute. To connect the brain with the computer, I, I mean, hopefully it's a living person and it's just a, a you know little. I haven't read the article, patch on the head or something. But can you? I just have images of brain sitting in a in a petri dish connected to a computer. Oh, yeah. it's frightening well, stuff. I'm sure, but it could be used for a lot of good too. I've seen uh, some shows where you know they're, they're, they now have some people can at a very rudimentary level still, but they can. Um, make things move like a prosthesis a prosthetic arm they're now able to make sure. it move through just by thinking about making it move and that's it's picking of, up the nerve signals the electrical yeah the, yeah so there's certainly a lot of good that can come out of it but uh you know like in any avenue of science right there's going to be some ethical and unethical uses of it well that, that's where there's the, the fine line is being crossed quite a bit and that's a scary thing there so yep. it, it, it's certainly uh you know Pray for pray for good ethics in our scientists for sure, because uh, we're going to cross a slippery slope. Because they're they're actually even talking about the ability to read brains through you know picking up brain waves and things like that. Mind they're, reading. This is this is not a good thing. I, I don't think you know mm-hmm. as we lose privacy and, and uh, you know someone gets, the wrong person gets that. I mean my goodness, you know. Can you imagine going on a job interview and they're reading your mind. Yeah. All the silly yeah. thoughts that go through your mind. Yeah, oh God, AI, mine. AI, right? Artificial intelligence that could be uh, scary stuff. Certainly used in a scary way. So uh, you know, I guess uh, we're gonna we're gonna go on. Anything break. else? Any other news, Bill? Well, there's a lot. I mean, gosh, there's lots of things going on in the world. You know, it's it's uh, it, it just seems like you know having a show like this and it's just once a month. It just my gosh, it's uh, it all cascades <laughs> into yeah. the first Friday of the month. <laughs> it right? really does, and you really can never even cover. One of the things I, I thought was really interesting was um, communal life is so important. We talk about our men's conference every year, and some of the great moments in that men's conference is when guys get together. There's great power. I mean, it's, it's almost palpable. I, I, I say that often. And uh, turns out that there's some science behind it because a new study shows that seniors that actually are, you know, active and, and get out and, and spend a lot of time with people tend to live longer. So there's an argument to kind of get off your bum and actually get out the door, you know? I mean, because, yeah. you know, especially guys, our tendency is to kind of like just, ah, we just want to stay away from everything. You know, new ladies are so much better at that, you know, communicating and coming together. Being social, yeah. Yeah, we got to, you know, kind of kick ourselves. And, and maybe this little article, if you want to live a little longer, a little happier, get out, spend time with friends, make some friends if you don't have any, you know, mm. volunteer, do do whatever it takes to get in, in the midst of it. Yeah, we're me- meant to live in community. The man is, it's not good for the man to be alone. <laughs> right, it, it, no, Billy? It, it is surely, surely yeah. not. So, so, all right, well, I guess we can... Uh, well, we're going to go to break and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes with uh, Dr. Italy. 
We asked people all over America, what have you done for your marriage today? Boy, I gave a huge hug this morning, like a really big squeeze that lasted forever. Great kiss. Those things are really important. <laughs> she got a really short haircut that she hated, and I wrote her a note and put it up on the mirror saying that she was a cute girl with cute hair. What have I done for my marriage today? We've actually organized a date night tonight. What have I done for my marriage today? Wow, that is a great question. Uh, I took the baby while she worked. I got up with the baby while he slept. Yeah. <laughs> today, I sent an email to my husband and I said, you rock. Well, I've done today what I usually do, and that is obey. I listened to my wife uh, when we talked on the telephone today. She really likes it when I listen. What have you done for your marriage today? Little things can make a big difference. For ideas, go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Communication Campaign. We asked people all over America, what have you done for your marriage today? Boy, I gave a huge hug this morning, like a really big squeeze that lasted forever. Great kiss. Those things are really important. <laughs> she got a really short haircut that she hated, and I wrote her a note and put it up on the mirror saying that she was a cute girl with cute hair. What have I done for my marriage today? We've actually organized a date night tonight. What have I done for my marriage today? Wow, that is a great question. Uh, I took the baby while she worked. I got up with the baby while he slept. Yeah. <laughs> Today, I sent an email to my husband, and I said, you rock. Well, I've done today what I usually do, and that is obey. I listened to my wife uh, when we talked on the telephone today. She really likes it when I listen. What have you done for your marriage today? Little things can make a big difference. For ideas, go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Communication Campaign. Well, welcome back, my brothers. This is Bill Maher, and I'm here with my co-host, George Rose, and we are here with a special guest, Dr. Marcelina D'Ambrosio. How are you, doctor? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Wonderful. Better for uh, hearing your voice. Uh, we're excited. We're going to have you at the Catholic Men for Jesus Christ conference in a, in a few weeks, and... Uh, Man, we're going to rock the world with that, aren't we? I can't wait to get there. Yes, I'm going to be rocked, and we'll all, we'll all be rocked together by the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Love it. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> hey, uh, so, Doctor, I would like to give a little introduction to you to the guys, uh, your background and where you're from. And, and, you know, you grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, which probably makes you a Red Sox fan, I'm guessing. Uh, and a Patriots fan. Yes, I know. Fan. Please, please forgive me. I'm, so, I'm sorry. But my brother was a Yankees fan, so we did have at least somebody in the house rooting for the Yankees. Uh, oh, good. Well, we'll have a lot to talk about when you get up here. I work for the Yankees, so. <laughs> and, and you're going to be on, you're going to be on stage with another Yankee, Mark Teixeira. So uh, you know, maybe, maybe that'll switch. I don't know. Maybe you can we can lean you, push it to the dark side. <laughs> and yeah, I have some stories to tell you. Just wait. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. And. You know, you're known in TV and, and the radio world as Dr. Italy. You're a speaker, author, pilgrimage director, theologian, and um, you co-founded Crossroads and the Crossroads Initiative uh, website. And uh, you have a Ph.D. in theology, which I see you got from uh, the renowned Jesuit theologian Avery Cardinal Dulles. Mm. And uh, you also taught at Loyola University, University of Dallas, and most recently the Catholic Distance University. And uh, one of the books that you wrote, well, w w which I read uh, and was really very helpful, was you, you co-authored um, on Mel Gibson's movie, the, the Passion of the Christ. It was called The Guide to the Passion, 100 Questions on the Passion of the Christ. And that became 
a bestseller. He sold over a million copies in two months, went to number six on the New York Times bestseller list. And your most recent book, Jesus, The Way, the Truth, and the Life, is uh, part of a groundbreaking study on the life and ministry of Jesus filmed in the Holy Land. So we got a lot to talk about today. <laughs> Indeed. There's all sorts of stuff. There's all, you just said a lot of, lot of good stuff. You know, there's a couple of things you left out, and that is the most important thing is I'm a follower of Jesus, mm. and number two, I'm a husband, and number mm. three, I'm a dad of, of five kids. So mm. that, 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 those are the most important things. Awesome. Thanks for that, filling that it in. Dad of five kids. You know, I, I'm tempted to say you're a little bit of a slacker. I have eight, by the way. So I'm just you're like, absolutely right. I am a slacker, you know? <laughs> I hope you teach me a few things when I get there. I'll be looking forward to leaning on you. Just the opposite. Trust me. <laughs> I don't have the title theologian. That That's uh, that's exciting stuff right there. We can unpack that for uh, maybe another show. <laughs> so... Um, Doctor, maybe you could tell us a little bit about, you know, Crossroads is your your your, your ministry now and that you founded and, um, you know, what you do in the Crossroads Initiative and, and, and uh, you know, who your audience is and, and why you co-founded it and, you know, how your, how your life works through that ministry. Sure. Uh, well, when I was 16, I came to a Crossroads. I had been already working as a professional musician. My parents were showbiz people, so I got started really early. Mm. And, you know, 13, I was making money playing the bass guitar in, in uh, weddings and nightclubs. And by 16, I was in a leading rock band. And, and that's where I was going. I was going towards what I thought was a life of glory on the stage. And, uh, and then I, I just kind of encountered people who were living even a more exciting adventure. Mm. And they were Catholics. as I, I was a Catholic, but I, I didn't think that anyone should get excited about their religion. I mean, that was something you did privately off to the side, kind of an unpleasant chore to protect you from serious negative consequences after death, you know. Uh, but uh, as far as this life goes, you got to go out and grab all the gusto you can and, and, and just make a way for yourself to have, have a life. Um, and, and Christ didn't really seem to have a lot to do with that. But for these people, he, it did. And as I got to see their joy and the peace in their lives, um, I came to encounter Christ in a new way, and, and I decided at that point I had to make a change. And I, I think, you know, making a change, making a decision to take a different road is really the key to a life uh, that's on fire, a life that's really discipleship and not just, um, you know, being an adherent to some religion, but actually following Jesus. Mm. So, you know, it, it's it, it, the early Christians were called followers of the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's really a path. Mm. Uh, it's a journey. And so anyway, uh, when, when I started working with some other former musicians to proclaim the gospel to Jesus, to, of Jesus to kids, uh, we decided to call a band that we started Crossroads. And we used the, the, the stage as a platform to share our faith with kids and, and call them to uh, think about some things and call them to make a change like we did. And um, and that became a minister. That was back in 1981 that we started. And uh, I, as I got my PhD, we just we just kind kind of expanded in the sense we got deeper, and we got. Uh, I mean, everybody. The, the life of discipleship is not staying still. You don't make one decision and then just sit there. Mm. If you just sit there, you're in trouble because Jesus is on the move. He'll be down the road in a, in a minute, and you'll be far far from him. So you mm. got to keep following him. So Crossroads is really about calling people to keep making the decision to follow Jesus, to go further, 
to go far, farther on the journey with him. And um, we do that through teaching. We do that through media. Um, we have a website that's, I think, one of the richest websites in the Catholic world. It's a great website. Yeah, great website. Lots of videos on there. It's very captivating. Uh, I've been on it numerous times, and um, there's a lot there. That's awesome. So, yeah, we want to feed people, you know? The Lord wants uh, our Christian life to be a, a rich banquet. I think some of us are satisfied with junk food or just eating cheese and crackers, but the Lord really wants to give us a feast, and that's what Catholic tradition provides for us, so we want to share that through um, through the website. And I go out speaking around the country and around the world, so uh, that's why I'm coming to hang out with you guys, and mm-hmm. I think uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. You know what I, I hear in your voice, though? I, I hear so much passion and joy and, and happiness, and I, I, I juxtapose that. I, I gave a talk not too long ago to a big group of CCD kids, and you know, you see uh, there's a sadness there. If, you, if you're able to peel away the onion a little bit, you see uh, uh, there's a sadness, uh, there's, a, there's a posture. There's, there's not that passion and joy that I hear in your voice. Um, I mean, you know, the, the faith is not going to give you permanent happiness because that's not life, right? You'll have happy moments, you'll have sad moments, but you have that peace of soul that Fulton Sheen used to talk about or that eudaimonia of the Greeks, right? And that passion and joy. And I hear that. What's your experience with that? Is, is this what you're seeing when you're out there too, you, the sadness? Yeah. and Yeah, absolutely. I mean, without Christ, uh, without a relationship with God and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're just empty. Um, and, and, that, and that's not to say that there's no good out there in the world among people who don't believe in God or there's not moments of joy, but there's a deep, deep aching emptiness that, is, that comes up again and again in, in your life. And um, I think this is true for, for Christians who wander away from the Lord or who are not living a deep life. You know, uh, that emptiness kind of um, hits us. And, and um, you know, the enemy... Uh, is real. Satan is out there, and he's kind of whipped up a world system that's called in the Bible the world. Uh, the flesh is is the wounded humanity in us that leads us away from the Lord, you know, and the world of the flesh and the devil really lead to despair and to despondency, you know, and that's just where that goes, ultimately. And you can kind of try to stuff it and try to amuse yourself um, and, and you try to distract yourself, but it keeps coming back um, and that's kind of the, the amazing thing that happened as I gave myself more to Christ and made him the center of my life mm. when I was 16. I asked the power of the Holy Spirit to get unlocked in my life. I'd gotten in baptism, but I think he was in the deep freeze, so it needed to be taken out. And I, I asked the Holy Spirit to become really the, the motive force of my life. The image of wind is not by accident. The, the wind moves you. And, mm. and so I, I prayed to the Spirit to empower me and uh, start moving in my life. And I experienced, for the first time, really, joy. That that joy that is not just human happiness, but joy that comes deep um, and can't be taken away easily just by a misfortune. Mm-hmm. So, uh, really, the Christian life is meant to be a joyful life, and I think a lot of people haven't seen joyful Christians. Yeah. When they do, as I did when I was 16, um, that's what helps set the stage for real change. So I think all of us, if we want our kids, our grandkids, our neighbors, our family members to come to Christ and want Christ in a deeper way, I think we've got to make sure that we're allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us into lives of joy. If we're living a half-baked life uh, and we're depressed, we're not going to attract anybody. Mm. 
Yeah, and St. Paul talks about the joy that surpasses all understanding, right? I think that's what you're what you're talking about. And uh, I love I love your message, uh, Doctor. Uh, Peter Herbeck also talks about living the high adventure of Catholic discipleship, which it sounds like you're doing. And um, I, I wanted to ask you just because I'm curious. So, so the the people that you met when you were you know a teenager and that attracted you more to uh, the way. Um, were they through your parish or like, how did that kind of happen? I'm always curious to hear how people, their glory story, right. And how, how they were converted, you know, in a, either converted or converted in a deeper way and brought to Christ. Like what, what happened specifically? Any, anything that you can speak about? Well, first of all, the two friends of mine, one of who was selling drugs at school, the other who was a groupie, he went from uh, one, <laughs> one uh, guy in the band to another, both of them had changes, and uh, Jesus became their passion and mm. changed their lives. And, mm. you know, they stopped using drugs. And, you know, so that that was like a got my attention. And then they introduced me to people of all ages, three parishes over from mine. And, and they were, some of these folks um, had been, came from the hippie culture. Some of them were businessmen and doctors and lawyers, and some were priests and nuns. So and what they had in common was that glow, mm-hmm. that excitement. Um, they had that passion for for Jesus. So I, it didn't really make any difference to me how old they were, where, what background they were coming from. I had a new common ground with them, mm. and that was Christ and the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's great. That's great. So through a uh, a drug dealer and, <laughs> and a groupie. And a groupie. You got converted. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great how Jesus, well, you can't make it up, right? <laughs> you can't. So... Um, m- Maybe you could speak a little bit as well about your new uh, your new book um, and what that. I don't think it's come out yet. Or it's coming out like next week or something, isn't it? In February. Yeah, actually, it began shipping this week. Great. And it, th- there's a book called Jesus: The Way, the Truth, and the Life, but it's part of a larger series. You can just get the book, or you can wa- watch a ten part video series and follow along with a study guide and burrow deep into the life of Jesus and his ministry. And it's shot in the Holy Land. Jeff Cavins and I are walking around oh, there. Great. We actually have some conversations back in the States with our friend, Dr. Edward Stree. So mm. the three of us are uh, the ones behind the series, working with Ascension Press. And I think it's groundbreaking because it's a conversational Bible study. It's not so much uh, me lecturing as it is us talking. And, and we're talking not just about the objective facts about Jesus. We're talking about our own personal experience of Him and how He's changed our lives and what it means to be disciples. And, um, and we look at the lives of the disciples uh, in the first century, but we also look at our own lives and share our own lives through this video series. Um, and the goal is to help people connect with Jesus in a deeper way. We as Catholics tend to take Him for granted. We leave Jesus to to the Protestants to talk about, and we talk about lots of other things mm-hmm. um, that, that flow from him, but, and, and what we wanted to do here is bring us back to the center and to show how everything in Catholic life flows from the person of Jesus Christ, whether it be the rosary, the sacraments, the liturgical year, whatever it may be, and that's all kind of fleshed out, you know, in the course of the study. Wow, that's so, really, um, really, called, yeah, yeah, really innovative. So you you wrote a book that's uh, got a video series that comes with it, too, so you can get deeper if you like. That's uh that's really cool. <laughs> you know, for someone that's never been to the Holy Land, and really most of us haven't, was there anything that really struck you um, that maybe deepened your faith or, or surprised you or, or, you know, gave you an experience that you didn't anticipate when you were, by being there? Uh, yes, there's many, but I'll, t- I'll share one with you. 
There was a, a, some ruins discovered that look very much like they're the house of Caiaphas. They're a palace, and the palace has a common prison in it, but it also has what used to be a cistern, a deep you know, hole in the ground uh, with, with stones all around it that used to be watertight, and it used to hold water, but it had a crack in it, so it wasn't used for that anymore. It was used as a maximum security cell, and um, it's there that the early Christians believe Jesus spent the last night of his life. And uh, to go down into that pit and to pray Psalm 88, which is a a prayer that really expresses the Lord, his own experience that night um, of uh, uh, before he he died, of being abandoned and being alone and being in darkness. It's just a powerful, powerful experience. So Wow. I've gone there now about 30 times, but every time I go, it brings a tear to my eye. It's yeah, funny that. It's funny you mentioned the cistern, because um, I wrote it down. Um, my brother, uh, a priest in the diocese, actually went there, and that's what struck him the most, was that cistern. You know, Christ was lowered yeah. down. To do it. I, I guess that's the place to go. I mean, you're the second person. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> it's just one of many. Uh, I'll just tell you, there's a million. And we share these all in, you know, we are in the Garden of Gethsemane, we're in the Sacred Pit, we're in the tomb. Uh, Jeff and I were in the birth cave where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So we go all over the Holy Land, and you see that when you watch Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And you can find out about that series either by going to my website, dritaly.com, or ascensionpress.com forward slash Jesus. Um, so I encourage anybody can watch it online, by the way. It's really reasonable to purchase an online credit to see it. Um, and the book is reasonably priced. You know, I really encourage people to do it. We think we know about the Lord, but uh, the, when we look at him and spend some time with Jesus, uh, we, we go way deeper. There's so much more to know about him and to experience. Well, it's amazing how um, everything's so tight, right? And you, you have St. Peter's uh, house isn't right there, and then there's a the temple. Everything's all right in the same little area, and, you know, it from what what I've, people have told me, that that really struck them as well, that everything they've read, it, it, it's right there. You know, it's all there. Yeah. There's one place like that, Jerusalem, um, and the temple, Caiaphas' house, and Bethany as well. Mar- Lazarus, Martha, and Mary only lived about a mile and a half from the temple. So all that is together. And then when you go 100 miles north to Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, you're right next to the Mount of Beatitudes. That's only a mile and a half away. And you're mm-hmm. next to... Uh, Magdala, where Mary Magdalene came from. That's another mile and a half. So there's two areas where there's lots of stuff that we read about in the Gospels. It all happened within a mile or two miles of, of that location. Wow. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. it's like uh, ground zero. I, I've been to the Holy Land, uh, and for me, I, when I was in the uh, the tomb at the church, you know, the Holy Sepulchre, uh, that really blew me away. Um I was actually saw the cistern as well, and that was pretty amazing. But to be in the tomb uh, where where Jesus rose as well, I'd, I'd say that's what that's the one that really got me. <laughs> well, that's a fair argument, George. Yeah, I, I have to experience these. <laughs> I have to go on one of your tours. You know, that's I, I uh, guess you know, one of the yeah. one of the hard things about having eight kids is you don't travel as much, right? This is true. <laughs> right. Bill is, Bill well, is there, storing there was, his treasure there was, in heaven. There was one time, George, that I, I took all five of my kids and my wife with me to the Holy Land. Wow. Uh, I'm still paying for that now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was it was really an awesome experience to go together as a family. Yeah, I think for me too. When I was there, it's like everything just jumps at you because like. 
these are not myths. These are not just stories that like these were real people and real places. And this is where it all actually happened. And that really grabbed me as well. Uh, the Via Dolorosa, right? So, uh, you know, the Stations of the Cross doing that. It's, um, boy, it just can't help but move your heart. And, and uh, uh, you know, it, like you said, if any, if you get a chance, Bill, at some point, by all means, you got it. Maybe maybe uh, you and Doctor can figure out. He's been 30 times. Maybe he can uh, get you over there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you run the tours, right, don't you, with Jeff Cavins? Don't you do that? I do. I, I do. Jeff and I actually have, uh, our groups are really big, so... Uh, Jeff runs his own, and I run my own, and this this was the only time we doing the series that he and I were in the Holy Land together, and it was a lot of fun to be with him. Oh wow! Honestly, wow. Yeah, yeah. And people can come if you want to come with me. I'm just telling you, we're going to be going right after Easter. We love singing Hallelujah in the Tomb during <laughs> the awesome. glory days of the Easter octave. So anyone wants to come, dritaly.com. There's a pilgrimage tab on every page. Click on that, and you can find out about the spring pilgrimage to the Holy Land. We have a few spaces left. Oh, that's great. So you have this this, this series and book coming out. Um, so I, I imagine that's occupying a lot of your time. But what's next? I mean, there's got to be something over the next hill. It, it, can you give us a, a little indication of what you're working on after this? Well, yeah, well, I'll tell you what. It's not done, you know, not official yet, but, but we really want to keep the story going. I want to keep the story going and talk about Pentecost and the life of the early church. Mm. And so uh, that that's kind of like... The next thing I got tons of books here on, on um, right now I'm, I'm borrowing into First Thessalonians, which is the actual first writing of the New Testament uh, by pretty much by consensus of scholars, even written even earlier than the Gospels, about 50 A.D. So anyway, I'm starting right there. I'm going to be studying the Book of Acts. So yeah, we'll be teaching about what what does Christian life look like in the first century. And uh, and what is that? How does that compare to how we're living now? And you know, are we are we living like this? Or not? or and if if we're not, well, let's start. You know, uh, and, and we're talking. You know, the fullness of Catholic faith um, and fullness of Catholic experience. But we want to get back to what the model is and what what it, what really the teaching is of the epistles, which we read at mass constantly. Um, that what's the normal Christian life? That's that's one of the things that we learn through the power of the Holy Spirit. We see how important the Holy Spirit is in the life of the Church in the first century. So we can kind of rediscover that as well. So anyway, that's kind of the next thing I'm working on. That's, that's great. You know, our uh, we do a Saint of the the Month every um, every first Friday when we do our show and our. Our saints of the month uh, today were the martyrs in the plague of Alexandria, which is a little bit after that time, right around the the year 250, the 14 years when there was the plague in Rome and Alexandria, and uh, what a crossroads that was for uh, the Christian faith in the Roman Empire, right when when everybody abandoned uh, the pagans abandoned their their relations and their friends from the plague, but the Christians came out and and helped people who were sick and 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 you know, fed them, carried them to where they needed to go, buried them when they needed to be buried, and uh, that really turned the tide of opinion in the Roman Empire uh, towards the Christians who, you know, were taking care of the people who had persecuted them up until that point mm-hmm. in time and tortured them. And that's right, not not too long after that, I guess, around that same period of, you know, the early church. That's right. And, you know, I, I wrote a book on the early fathers, which covers that period, it's called When the Church Was Young. Yes. Um, and and, and uh, actually, you know, I think there's an awesome book that talks about the effect, the effects 
uh, of that plague and the way Christians behaved on the growth of Christianity. Mm. And it's called The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark. And it's, it's actually something I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to in the next section of my work on the early Church, because it's so critical to find out what, what, why was the Church growing? In the midst of persecution, it grew at a rate we can now, we, just from the point of view of stats, there's no doubt of the growth rate. The growth rate for the first 300 years was 40% net growth every 10 years. That's mm. how the Church grew. Wow. And, um, and, and you know, so like right now we're experiencing a loss of, of membership in the United States. Um, we're growing in Africa, by the way. We're growing a lot of places. But in the United States and Europe, we're kind of losing members, and we're scratching our heads saying, you know, what do we do about the millennials? What do we do about the young people? Um, well, maybe we need to learn from the early Church and learn about uh, how, how it was that, that they attracted people to Christ, even during a pagan uh, culture with horrible sexual morality with a culture of death, and yet they grew. So um, we can do it. Uh, the good news is we can grow now, and we just need to learn from our forefathers. I, I often think that um, where there's affluence, you know, we're, we're struggling. You know, part of it, I think, is just distraction. We have so many things. You know, I, I hate to take it to this measure, but it reminds me of the song Pink Floyd wrote, you know, Comfortably Numb. You know, in, in the <laughs> modern world, everyone's just comfortably numb, whereas you go to Africa— they see suffering, they know what suffering is, but they also know what joy is and hope is, and, and they get the gospel message, whereas here we're just distracted constantly. I mean, is that something that, yeah. that you can relate to, or what, what are your thoughts oh, on it? Oh, absolutely, and not just from affluence, but from noise. We're the yes. noisiest society in the history of the world. Ancient Rome was affluent, but it didn't have media that um, found its way into every moment of your life, like today. I mean, we can control that, we can stop that, but most of us are way too exposed to secular media, and it has its impact on us and the way we think and the way we feel. So, um, you know, one, one thing I, I would just say, if you want to know a secret to growing in a spiritual life, you, you need to expand silence and quiet in your life and turn off some of the distracting noise uh, that comes to us through the visual noise, through computer, audible noise. You know, this is a great program on radio, but um, if you're listening to radio constantly or watching television constantly, maybe you're crowding out the voice of the Spirit a little bit. So um, I would just encourage everybody to, you know, favor good media, but make sure that you cut out some of the junk food when it comes to media exposure. Yeah, I like that that analogy you use. Uh, you know, most of us are eating junk food when we're not eating the, 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 the good, more delicious food that's available to us, which takes more time to prepare, right, than it does to open a bag of potato chips. It's, it's a really great analogy, Doctor. And listen, we're uh, about at the end of the show, and we are so excited to see you in a few weeks. Um, and so are the men in the Diocese of Trenton in, in New Jersey, as we like to say. So uh, we'll see you soon. God bless you. God Look bless you, brothers. To it. All, All right. right. God bless you. God bless you. Take care. Be safe, brothers. We will see you soon in a couple of weeks at our conference at St. Mary's in Middletown. God bless. I've tried to cut these corners, try to take the easy way out. I kept on falling short of something. I could have gave up then, but then again I couldn't have. I've traveled all this way with something. I take it in, but don't look down.